I, I do a podcast. I'm not, I'm not interested in your podcast. The anathema of God was for those who denied justification by faith alone. When that is at stake, we need to be on the battlefield exposing the air and combating the air. We are unabashedly, unashamedly Clarkian. And so the next few statements that I'm going to make, I'm probably going to step on all of the Vantillian toes at the same time. And this is what we do at Simple Reform on the radio, you know. We are polemical and polarizing Jesus style. I would first say that to characterize what we do as fashion is itself fashion. It's not hate, it's history, it's not fashion, it's the Bible. Jesus said, Woe to you and men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way, as opposed to blessed are you when you have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. It is on. We're taking the gloves off. It's time to battle. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you back to the podcast. My name is Tim Shaughnessy, and you are listening to Semper Reformanda Radio. So today, uh, it's going to be me and Carlos again, and we are going to continue addressing the issues with John Piper. But Carlos, I was listening to last week's episode, and it's pretty clear to me that really this is so much bigger than just Piper, and I think that we need to... We, we need to talk about that a little bit more. And last week I played Devil's Advocate. After listening to myself, I, I realized I, I think I played Devil's Advocate a little bit too much with respect to the Michael Horton thing. And the reason that I played Devil's Advocate was because I knew that we were going to get those complaints and people are going to have an issue with what we're saying. But I wholeheartedly agree with what you were saying about Michael Horton. I do think that it's a huge problem. I think that he needs to own up to it and he needs to stop uh, stop things like that. And as you pointed out, it's not the first time that he's been called out for something like that. But after listening to what you read from the quote, I want you to just read it again. And then I just want to tell you what I think about it. Yeah, so Horton's endorsement was this even when one disagrees with some of his conclusions okay so Benedict stop insights. so stop right there okay so stop right there um he makes the disagreements sound trivial tertiary or secondary in nature and that's one of when i came away from this i thought even when one disagrees with some of the conclusions well our disagreement with rome is a vast chasm to which no bridge can be made. Our disagreement with Rome centers on the gospel itself. And so to to make such a remark as that just trivializes it. And then to say that the Pope is uh, an important theologian of our day, go ahead and read the rest of it, and I'll, I'll try not to interrupt you. Yeah, but it's the difference between true and false religion, Christ and Antichrist, so... Yeah, it's very 
very much a compromise, ecumenical compromise. Uh, it says, even when one disagrees with some of his conclusions, Benedict's insights as well as his engagement with critical scholarship offer a wealth of reflection. In this remarkable book, Han has drawn out the central themes of Benedict's teaching in a highly readable summary, an eminently useful guide for introducing the thought of an important theologian of our time. So two things right there. He, he qualifies the book as remarkable. Um, I, I just don't see any other way around that. That's high praise for the book. If I were to say, hey, here's a remarkable book, I'm going to give you the impression that this is a great book. Um, even though there, there's, I, I might disagree with some of the stuff in it, but it's a really good book and you can really be edified and learn a lot from it. And then to say uh, that the Pope is an eminent or is, is an important theologian of our day is, I mean, just a gross misrepresentation of what the Pope is, of, of what the papacy is and who the Pope is. The Pope is Antichrist. I would never say to somebody, I, I would say to, to somebody that, you know, um, even though I disagree with some of what John MacArthur believes, I think John MacArthur is one of the most important theologians of our day. That's what I'd say with respect to John MacArthur, even though, again, I disagree with some of the conclusions uh, that he draws. But I would never say that about right. the Pope. And so I really... Or Scott Hahn. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was listening to our episode that, that I did with uh, Steve Matthews and, and Timothy Kaufman, episode one of the Trinity Foundation Radio. And Timothy Kaufman... Uh, points out uh, the the problem with Scott Hahn that he basically followed the logic that that led uh, that that Piper is presenting us. He followed it out and it led him straight to Rome. And Timothy Kaufman mentions Scott Hahn by name in that episode. And so I would encourage people to go back and listen to it. Scott Hahn, unfortunately, is not anybody that we would recommend. He's not, uh, we would warn people, we, we would warn people away from him to avoid him because he, he has sided with Rome. Uh, he has become an apostate. And so I wanted to make it very clear from the outset of this episode that I completely agree with what you said. It, and you know, the other thing, Carlos, that I want to back up here because, um, you, I wanted to give you an opportunity to, uh, engage a little bit with the book. You you actually you actually read the book that Michael Horton recommended and Scott Hahn wrote. And uh, so, if you could just give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, I started reading over some of it. Um, the the reason this got this came up again because the 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 endorsement he gave a while ago. I don't remember the precise date, but well, 2009 actually is when he defended his uh, endorsement. But the reason this came up again is because, as you know, or as you might know, uh, Logos, Bible Software, Faith Life, um, they offer free books every month, a free ebook each month. And so they have a, a Roman Catholic subsidiary company called Verbum, and, or Werbum. And this company, or this, this uh, it's a Roman Catholic version of Logos, Logos. And in one of the, recently they offered Scott Hahn's book for free. So I got it. That's how I got a hold of it. And then I was looking at the endorsement page and there like Horton's was one of the first endorsements listed. And so that led us to, to, to this whole thing 
that we've uh, come to. But the like we already covered the you know the whole situation. But what really struck me reading this book is that it is I don't know how you could be a Protestant and not be bothered by just the the, the whole feel for the book in the first place because it's basically an act of idolatry. It's an act of blasphemous idolatry because this guy, former Presbyterian, is praising and celebrating a man as the Pope. And it is really, really at odds. It is, it, it's just so idolatrous, for one thing. And, you know, to, to some of the conclusions, that he, here are some of the conclusions that he comes to. I dug up some of the quotes that that um, some of the some of the more you know anti-Protestant ones. So in one of the chapters he says, "From these reflections, it is clear that the church's teaching authority, its magisterium, cannot be regarded as an extraneous or foreign element that constricts the freedom of the theologian. The authority of the church over the word is part of the essential historical structure of God's revelation in the church." As we observed in the previous chapter, historically speaking, scripture, tradition, and the church's apostolic teaching authority are inseparable facets of the same reality, namely the revelation of the word to the church. The authority of the church as the, quote, primary, he's quoting Benedict now, the primary interpreter of the word, end quote, is the autoritas apostolica, the authority of the living word communicated as viva, viva vox as the living voice of the apostolic preaching. The church's preaching, is a, its proclamation of the faith, is quite naturally the normative criterion of theology, because, because this proclamation, the gospel, the church pro proclaims, is the very object of theological reflection. So there you, say, you see he's plainly stating that the church has authority over the Bible. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's standard Roman Catholic theology. And to say that it's one, you know, a a conclusion that you would disagree with is a serious undermining of the entire premise of the book, which is an it's it's an act of idolatry because the guy praises, he's a Roman Catholic who praises the Pope. So it's ironic that instead of calling him, rather than calling he he's calling him an important theologian, when his own confession calls him Antichrist. That that's about as sharp of a contrast as you can get. So. It's pretty shameful for him to do right. something like that. Right. Um, you know, this this just is so much bigger than Piper and uh and last time we didn't even we didn't even touch on Piper. So we're gonna do that now. Um but before we start, man, I I really man, I'm really struggling tonight because man, I'm I'm down because there's a guy on Facebook uh, this guy by the name of Chris, and I, I, I like this guy. I mean, he's seems like a nice guy. Sent him a friend request, but, um, you know, I was talking to him tonight, and we're going to start with number one in addressing the fatal flaw. And um, this is what Chris writes. He says, uh, God has justified me based on his undeserved favor on the grounds of Christ's death for my sins. And through my trust in Christ, his death and resurrection for his forgiveness without any consideration of anything I've done. But that doesn't get rid of the fact that the New Testament clearly says that works will be the basis 
of the final judgment for every person. When the final judgment is talked about and the basis of the final verdict is given, works are clearly emphasized, including the works of believers. However, I don't believe any works are meritorious toward justification. Rather, they are going to be used as a judicial evidence of the reality of a person's justification or its absence. And when I say works, you put works in quotations, I mean any word, thought, or action. How do you explain the emphasis of works of believers in passages about the final judgment, such as those in Matthew 25, Romans 2, uh, Revelation 1, 3, and uh, chapter 22? Um, so we're going to touch on some of the language that was used here um, because he's speaking in legal terms and man, it just, it bothers me. And I, I have such a heavy heart right now because I mean, he's, he's saying two completely contradictory things. And, and I did address the, the judgment of works as it pertains to believers in my episode on the Trinity foundation radio as well as on the article that, that I published with Tim Kaufman, there is a judgment of works for believers, but that is for the basis of rewards, not for the basis of surviving through the courtroom of, of Christ and the, the last judgment in order that I might get into heaven. And, and that's, so on, on the one hand, he's saying, he's saying the right thing, and then he's just completely presenting something that's that's straight from Piper because this was in the context of talking about Piper and it, it it bothers me and it's like I don't even want to man I, I want to reach out to this guy I don't I don't want to beat these people up um I I don't want to just hit everybody over the head with a with a bible being being unloving and uncaring I feel for these people. I feel I feel horrible that people are being taken up by this. And I I don't know, man. I don't know how to explain it. I just like going into this tonight, I, I'm I'm sad by this. Um I you know, it's like I don't even want to talk about this at church because it hurts to talk about this. Like people people don't agree with you. And it's a hard conversation to have. Um, you know, we've been accused of, uh, of trying to make a name for ourselves. We've been accused of, you know, we're just out to get people. That's not what this is about at all. Um, it, it's almost like when, when we talked about Hank Hanegraaff, uh, I, it's like, yeah, I mean, everybody's concerned about Hank Hanegraaff. And, but it's like, I'm also concerned about the people that are listening to Hank Hanegraaff when he affirms Roman Catholicism as a true church. So I want to start with the fatal flaw. Number one, I want everybody to know that that's where my heart is. I, I, I mean, this is, this is a gospel issue. Let's, let's be super clear about that. This is a gospel issue, but Carlos in, in fatal flaw. Number one, it's titled justified by faith at first saved by works at last. And some of the terminology that was used in this quote by this guy, Chris, um, was also, uh, you point out the problem with Piper in, in 
the way that he uses these legal terms. So let's let's walk that out. I'm going to give you the floor and uh, let you take it away. Yeah, so I'm going to restate the thesis so people can refresh their memory. Uh, we left off last time with, uh, by stating the thesis of what the main issue is with Piper and uh, which is this in his which is I'm going to quote the article in his attempt to reconcile passages like James 2:14, which is what it uses it my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him and Hebrews 12:14, which says pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Piper offsets the doctrine of justification by faith alone with a lopsided emphasis on evangelical obedience, claiming that believers are required to have good works at the last judgment for God to allow them into heaven. Piper's false teaching of final justification is the product of both bad a final salvation is the product of both bad hermeneutics and a failure to harmonize scripture. It suffers from not one but at least six fatal flaws, all of them six flaws, all of them fatal. For the doctrine of justification is fundamental to Christianity and affects all other doctrines. To get justification wrong, to get salvation wrong, is to get Christianity wrong. So, as you read the first flaw, um, all of these flaws, basically each one of these flaws is alone is enough to refute Piper's position and to show that it's utterly at odds with the Bible. And the way I, they're not necessarily in a certain order. But the way I try to list them is by essentially the most obvious ones first. And these first three have, for the most part, already been, to some extent, uh, been uh, called out by other, other people who are concerned, who have the same concerns that we do. So these are basically the, the these three flaws are essentially the three, some of the major areas that other folks that have already, uh, you know, brought this to light and called Piper out on. So the first flaw is like like you said justified by faith at first saved by works at last. And so here I I start with a quote from Piper to show that his errors are not new. And the only difference if any is that he's becoming more explicit in twisting uh Protestant doctrine to make it fit his neo-legalist mold. So going back as far as 1993, um, he states this. He says, our, our deeds will be the public evidence brought forth in Christ's courtroom to demonstrate that our faith is real. And our deeds will be the public evidence brought forth to demonstrate the varying measures of our obedience of faith. Uh, Romans 12, 3, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11. In other words, salvation is by faith and rewards are by faith, but the evidence of invisible faith in the judgment hall of Christ will be a transformed life. Our deeds are not the basis of our salvation, they are the evidence of our salvation. They are not foundation, they are demonstration. Which sounds, this sounds very similar to the guy that you just read, the, the guy that you just quoted. So, the uh, the issue now is that Piper is very clearly using legal terminology and describing how works relate to final salvation. He's claiming that our deeds, quote, our deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. They are not foundation. They are demonstration. So he's trying to get away with this by saying they are not the grounds or the foundation of our salvation, but they are evidence. The only problem is that this is forensic evidence in Christ's courtroom. 
In his own words, Christ's quote room in the judgment hall of Christ. Forensic evidence, which as we will see, undermines the righteousness of Christ imputed to believers and every legal status a believer has in relation to God. We're not just talking about, this is what, part of the conflation that Piper has with how works relate to our salvation. When What James is referring to is, we've already made mention of this, we've explained this several times before. Good works are an evidence to other people, to other, how do I know that you're a believer? Show me my faith, show me your faith by your works. That's what James is talking about. God doesn't need those works for to, to prove or to show that you're actually a believer. He doesn't need them. He gave them to you as gifts. They are not the basis, they are not even the evidence of our salvation at the last judgment. Right. And, and um, you know, going back to what this guy said, let me just read the important part again so that people get it. He wrote, this guy Chris, he wrote, when the final judgment is talked about and the basis of the final verdict, so he's in court, um, is given, works are clearly emphasized, including the works of believers. So believers are on trial. Uh, they are going to be used as judicial evidence. And so there are the same legal terms and people are going to be put on trial again. And this is so deceptive because Carlos, when, when Piper is saying that, that these works are, um, like you said, like they're not the, the grounds, they're the evidence of our justification in other words right in other words unless you have enough forensic evidence when christ judges you at the finals judgment you're not getting into heaven right you're beating you're being put on trial again a second time in order to determine if you're going to heaven right and and that's that's why it's so important to, to point out that this is deceiving because People hear that, oh, our works are not the grounds, they're the evidence. And and yes, that's exactly right. But not at the last judgment, so that it can achieve something that Christ already achieved. And so th this is why it's so important to point out that justification is a once-for-all legal, judicial, final verdict of God declaring the sinner righteous at the moment of his effectual calling. Uh, both now and at the last judgment. So that's why this is so, man, my heart just breaks for people like this because I, I'm, my concern is, are you going to appeal to your good works to present as evidence? Like, here's what I did, Lord, on the final day. Are you going to, to, to hope in, in that? Or are you going to hope in the finished work of Christ on the cross? And this, this error, and I'm not being dramatic here, this error is lethal. And this is what infuriates me. This is what gets my blood boiling. And this is what, at the end of the day, man, it just, it breaks my heart that people are being swept away by this, you know? So go ahead, go ahead, man. Go ahead and continue. Yeah. So we're making very strong statements because this is a very serious problem that Piper has. And... I I I state in the article I'll state it I'll state it again. This view undermines the righteousness of Christ imputed to believers and every legal status the believer has in relation to God, every single status, because 
it's now on the basis of your it see they're trying they say it's not the basis it's not the foundation it's not the ground but unless you have the, uh, Christ is uh, Christ is going to forensically analyze your good works at the final judgment to see if you have enough in order to get into heaven. This is the sharp contrast that Piper keeps making. We're already justified, but in order to get into heaven, you need to be forensically evaluated by God on the final judgment. Present your good works as forensic evidence, because if you don't have those present, you're not getting in. And so it's a complete undermining of the justification that we have in the first place. That is what justification is. It is a forensic acquittal. The justification is a forensic legal acquittal and forgiveness and pardon of sins of the believer. And this completely undermines that. So and again, more recently, more recently he's been stressing that all believers will have to present their works on the final judgment not just for heavenly rewards. So he does affirm that they're for heavenly rewards, but it's not just that. It's as a, quote, necessary confirmation that they are worthy of entering heaven. Otherwise, they won't get in. And this is a quote from, the first quote was from a uh, a sermon series that he did on the resurrection and the, and the final judgment. It's called, What Happens When You Die? All Appear Before the Judgment Seat of Christ. This next quote is from the newer sermon uh, or article, or whatever. Yeah, it was a sermon called "Faith Alone: How Not to Use a Reformed Slogan." And so here he says, Paul calls this effect or fruit or evidence of faith the work of faith and the obedience of faith. These works of faith and this obedience of faith, these fruits of the spirit that come by faith, are necessary for our final salvation. No holiness, no heaven. So we should not speak of getting to heaven. By faith alone. In the same way, we are justified by faith alone. Love, the fruit of faith, is necessary confirmation that we have faith and are alive. We won't enter heaven until we have it. There is a holiness without which we will not see the Lord. Essential to the Christian life and necessary for final salvation is the killing of sin and the pursuit of holiness, mortification of sin, sanctification, and holiness. But what makes possible, what makes that possible and pleasing to God, we put to, we put sin to death, and we pursue holiness from a justified position where God is 100% for us already by faith alone. So again, he's stressing this to such an extent that now he's saying, we're not justified by faith alone. We don't get to heaven by faith alone in the same way that we're justified by faith alone, because in order for us to get to heaven. God has to forensically evaluate the works that we have as evidence at, to, to see if we have enough evidence to get to heaven. So that's clearly, that is clearly putting him in the camp of those who hold to a final justification. That is exactly what final justification is. Just because you say it's not grounds, even if you, you say it's not grounds or salvation or, or, or foundation or, or basis, if you're still saying that there's evidence that is necessary in order to be presented at the final judgment, in order for you to get in, that contributes to your justification at the final judgment. It's not settled with Christ alone. Right. It's not settled by Christ alone. You still have to present it at the final judgment. Right. And and you know what these people are doing is that they're committing the word concept fallacy. They're saying, oh, the concept's not there because he's not using that word. And... 
the concept is there and he's avoiding the word, I think, because of the obvious problematic implications of those. The, the, a lot of the, the grounds, the basis, a lot of those, those terms are used uh, in Roman Catholicism. Yeah. And, and you use those words and, and they're going to be red flags, but the concept is still the same. And I've heard people say Piper says final salvation, not final justification. And they try to draw this arbitrary distinction, but Piper actually uses the terms interchangeably to describe his own view, which essentially captures the same concept as you just put of final justification in which people are not uh, completely wholly legally, forensically, judicially uh, declared righteous now because they're st- we're, we're still going to have to be put on trial. Mm-hmm. And so he's used the term final justification before. Uh, Tom Schreiner, in which he wrote the forward to that book, uses the terms final justification. And Piper uses the, the term final just final salvation. Uh, and and I, I believe that he uses them uh, synonymously to capture his view. So I, I do want to get to that a little bit later, but I want to take our time. Th- this first point is a little bit long, so I really want to take our time and let's just go. Let's just keep uh, chipping away at it. Yeah. So I continue in the article. Basically, Piper's answer to the question of getting to heaven is not faith alone. It is not the same answer to the question, how can a person be right with God? Faith for Piper is not enough. Why? Because believers also have to have good works, love, kill indwelling sin, and pursue holiness for God to allow them into heaven on the final judgment. And again, L- let me let me interject here. Let me let me point out. It's it, when we say that faith is not enough for Piper. People oftentimes try to point to James chapter two and make a distinction between true and living faith and you know dead faith. Living faith, which manifests itself in good works, is not enough in Piper's view. So so people who are saying, I think Piper's just saying that works will be present. That's not what Piper is saying. You're misrepresenting Piper when you say that. Piper is saying, because in Piper's view, the only faith that justifies a person is a true and living faith, which is made manifest in good works. So the good works are there. Now, what you're saying, Carlos, is faith, that faith, is not enough. So we need to be super clear on this because we keep, people keep citing James chapter 2 as if that's the argument, and that's not the argument. Yeah, he's saying, quote, we won't enter heaven until we have it. All of those things that we just listed, that he that he himself listed, um, it's it's just so far removed from the protestant the 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 doctrine of justification by faith alone that it, it is right it is far more in common in line with uh the 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 federal visionists the new perspectivists the the roman catholic church that is basically what they say not it you know it may differ in degrees and to how explicit as to how explicit they are but this is the same this is the same error this is essentially the same error, just a little more subtle. And so, so yeah, it's it, it, look at the the word picture that he's painting. He's saying God is going to put us on trial. We are going to face the judgment hall of Christ and face Christ as judge. There is no escaping that he is. God is going is forensically weighing our works 
as evidence to see if we have enough to get to heaven. That's justification, folks. In case you didn't get it, that's justification. That justification was already accomplished at the cross. And when you believe that justification is applied to you legally, forensically, that is the doctrine of Protestant justification. The eschatological justification or judgment is already solved and brought forward to the present day the moment that you believe. There is no longer an evaluation period at the final judgment because Christ already satisfied it. That is what the imputation of Christ's righteousness is all about. And so before I get any more ahead of myself, uh, we can continue on with the first flaw. So, um, again, yeah, this is a Roman reversal of the Reformation because Protestants have only the, the same answer to both questions, and that is faith alone. It's faith alone, not not faith plus works and, and works present at the last judgment. So I, I don't know, and I want you to carry on, but I don't know if you... I, I don't know if you quoted this verse, but it just really hits home what you're talking about right here. John 5, 24. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We do not go into judgment, but we pass from death to life. But Piper will have us go through a judgment in in Christ's courtroom to to be put on trial. So I believe that that, that blatantly contradicts what, what Christ himself teaches. Yeah, that verse illustrates exactly the problems that I'm pointing out in the thesis of the article. Piper and these people who believe in a final salvation, final justification, they are very poorly failing to harmonize all of scripture consistently and harmoniously because there's s several passages in the Bible that fly in the face of what Piper is saying. And we're also going to deal with the passages that seem to support what Piper and these folks say, but you have to account for all of scripture. And that verse you just quoted completely contradicts everything that he's saying. So even though he does correctly explain that we put sin to death and we pursue holiness from a justified position where God is 100% for us already by faith alone. Piper is nevertheless betraying sola fide because he's conflating it with sanctification. Because he's stating that God requires good works or the sanctifying fruit of faith as necessary confirmation for believers to enter heaven at the last judgment. Again, quote, in final salvation at the last judgment, faith is confirmed by the sanctifying fruit it has borne and we are saved through that fruit and that faith. As Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And this is not obscure. Piper is not being confusing. He's not being vague. He's not being unclear. This is as clear as clear can be. There is no misunderstanding him. This is plain. And it's plain wrong. It's just flat out wrong. So... um this this is some people try to excuse piper because he still affirms justification by faith alone but again we're we're those you know if you're familiar with church history and heresies the the heretics constantly use biblical and orthodox terminology to affirm the very christian doctrines that they themselves reject and and they redefine them they they subtly redefine and undermine them um 
by twisting the scriptures and, and eisegeting their own views into the text. And this is what Piper does. This is this is Piper, this is exactly what Piper is doing. And but and John Robbins he he wrote an article back in 2002 warning about uh, John Piper. It's nothing new. It's this is nothing new. And Robbins warns that quote Piper denies justification by faith alone while professing to accept biblical soteriology, which makes his work all the more dangerous. The most effective attack on truth, the most subversive attack on the doctrine of the completeness. An efficacy of the work of Christ for the salvation of his people is always couched in pious language and biblical phraseology. And it's ironic because Piper's own words mark him guilty when he himself gives his readers an admonition when he's um, extracting an application, a lesson learned from Athanasius and how he had to deal with the Arian heretics because they very subtly would um, undermine the doctrines. They would accept what they what the orthodox folks would say but then they would undermine them by redefining them so they would accept them at face value but then they would redefine them completely and this is what piper's doing with protestant understandings of these doctrines that is exactly what he's doing he's twisting their meaning with heterodox interpretations of these pat of, of the biblical passages in a way that betrays both the reformation and the scriptures and he, he says this Piper says this, he says, You can see what extraordinary care and precision is called for in order to be faithful to the scripture when using the five solas. And since scripture alone is our final and decisive authority, being faithful to scripture is the goal. We aim to be biblical first and reformed only if it follows from scripture. So there, you know, it, it sounds like a very pious, this reminds me a lot of New Covenant theology people, you know. We're only... We are we are biblical first, and we're only reformed if it follows with the Bible. It's like, well, yeah, that's what everybody would say. Everybody would say that. Methodists would say that. Baptists would say that. They all say that. They all claim that. So it doesn't. It means very little unless you state what you're saying, and what you're saying harmonizes with Scripture. It has to line up with Scripture. Well, it's like uh, Pastor Hines has rightly pointed out that every heretic in the history of the church has taught their heresy in the name of being faithful to scripture exactly that's that's basic that is one of the most basic lessons of church history and he he says this too he says my answer is and it's the answer of the entire mainstream of the reformed tradition and not just calvinists would talk this way many others would as well works play no role whatsoever in justification but are the necessary fruit of sancti of justifying faith which confirm our faith and our union with Christ at the last judgment. And again, this is patently false. He's not, he is not saying, he is not affirming justification by faith alone. We just explain how God evaluating our works as evidences, even if it's not the grounds or the basis or the, 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 the foundation, as, as long as it's something, evidences, it doesn't matter. That is contributing to your justification at the final judgment. So, again, it's it's clear. It's it's so clear that he is utterly opposed to the Protestant Reformation and to the into the Protestant understanding of these doctrines. Right, and and you know, I also want to point out to people that we are not antinomians. That we do believe that if a person is justified, that there that justification inevitably leads to sanctification, and that there will be evidence of that person's uh, saving faith. We we believe that it's a it's a necessary inevitable consequence of saving faith. Okay, 
The difference is, is that those evidences are for people. And that's why in, in uh, James chapter two, it says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says I have faith? Uh, actually, let me, let me just read it um, because uh, that's the best thing to do. But those evidences are, are before people. They're not before God at the final judgment. And that's why the context of what James is talking about, he says, starting in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? So what he's talking about is a profession of faith. How do we evaluate someone's profession of faith? Um, well, uh, first, by what they by what they teach and believe, uh, we have to examine the the substance of of what they're saying in light of scripture and see if it lines up. But then also he's he's addressing the issue of hypocrisy, and so we're not antinomians. We're not saying that that a person uh, will be completely devoid of of faith. Um, we're not with the free grace movement. Um, we, we do believe that it's a necessary, inevitable consequence of saving faith, but that evidence is for people to really see if you're a hypocrite or if you're genuinely a Christian, because that's all we have. We can't see inside of a person's heart. Um, so I just wanted to make that clear because I know that that keeps coming up as well. Are you saying that a person can can go to heaven and not not have any works? We're not antinomian, but we're, what we're saying is that you will not get into heaven because of your good works. And so when you say that that you don't get into heaven that that you you don't get into heaven by faith alone, when you say that you're saying that inevitably that faith alone is not the alone instrument by which you get into heaven. Your inherent goodness. Not the not the goodness of, of Christ imputed to you through faith, but it's you. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just wanted to throw that out there because we keep getting charged with the 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 people keep leveling the charge of antinomianism against us. Yeah, we're gonna deal with that a little later with how works play a role. We've already explained, and we will explain in more detail that works. The role of works in the final judgment is that God is going to evaluate them to see which ones he's, he's going to reward. They are not evidence of, of us. They are not the necessary evidence that we have to present in order for God to allow us to into heaven. That is contributing to your justification and it utterly undermines the, the total perfect satisfaction and imputed righteousness that Christ already has imputed to us on, 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 our, on our behalf. And so, in the article, I continue by, uh, I continue, I say, Piper teaches contrary views. He cannot affirm the Protestant position that believers are justified by faith alone, but at the last judgment, good works will be required to forensically demonstrate their worthiness to enter heaven. Because this latter fatally undermines the former. It's a fatal flaw. This is fatally flawed already. We're just on the first point, And this is already bad enough as it is. Um... So Piper is he's quote unquote embracing Protestant but uh, Protestantism but ultimately to redefine and reject it. This is this quote is astounding, and it's not new. It's not that new. This quote I think is from the foreword to to uh, Tom Schreiner's book on justification by faith alone. 
and I uh, I think he published this. This was published like in 2015. So get a load of what he says here. Listen very carefully. I quote Piper: "The stunning Christian answer is sola fide, faith alone. Be but be sure you hear this carefully and precisely. He, Tom Schreiner, says right with God by faith alone, not attain heaven by faith alone." There are other conditions for attaining heaven, but no others for entering a right relationship to God. In fact, one must already be in a right relationship with God by faith alone in order to meet the other conditions. We are justified by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Faith that is alone is not faith in union with Christ. Union with Christ makes His perfection and power ours through faith. And in union with Christ, faith is living and active with Christ's power. Such faith always, quote, works by love and produces the, quote, obedience of faith. And that obedience, imperfect as it is till the day we die, is not the basis of our justification. He's quoting Schreiner there. Not the, quote, basis of our justification, but a necessary evidence and fruit of justification. In this sense, this is Piper, in this sense, love and obedience, inherent righteousness, is, quote, required of believers, but not for justification. That is, required for heaven, not for entering a right standing with God. So what does this mean? L hold on. Hold on. Let's back up here. He explicitly said an inherent righteousness is required. An inherent righteousness. This flies in the face of Protestant orthodoxy, which teaches that it is the foreign righteousness of Christ alone imputed to you through faith alone that saves you and gets you into heaven. And so Piper would have his readers appeal, let me back up here, die thinking that they're going to have to go into a courtroom, be put on trial, and they're going to have to appeal to an inherent righteousness that is of themselves an inherent righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ, but an inherent righteousness in order to enter heaven. Folks, don't miss this. Do not miss this. This is a train wreck. This is tragic on epic proportions. That's heresy. And it just baffles me if Stephen Furtick said this, if Benny Hinn said this, if Joel Osteen said this, everybody would be all over it. But we have a bit of a confirmation bias here. <laughs> yeah, the the it's astounding. This is Romanism 101. This is Romanism at its core. It is an utter travesty of the Reformation. And again, Piper says there are other conditions for attaining heaven that believers must meet on his un based on his unbiblical and anti-Protestant distinction between justification and final salvation, between justification and getting to heaven. And so, he even admits that it's imperfect. He says, in obedience, imperfect as it is till the day we die. God is accepting less than, perf less than perfect obedience as evidence for you to get to heaven. I mean, it is, this is it, practically the same thing that federal visionists teach, that new perspectivists teach, that Rome teaches. I mean, it is squarely on their camp. And it is heresy. This is flat-out heresy, folks. 
And it doesn't matter if, if you want to nuance it or qualify it and say, well, it doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, it could, you know, earlier we said, you know, how many works does, does it take? Well, it's, it's not really that you just have to have some, if you add anything to the finished work of Christ, you are trusting in a false gospel, Yep. anything. So it doesn't matter if, if the works are small, it doesn't matter if you, if you add anything to it, you have forfeited the gospel. And as Paul says, Christ is of no advantage to you. And if you look at the contrast between the Judaizers in Rome, the Judaizers just added one thing to the finished work of Christ, circumcision. But Rome has added so much more. And what does Paul say to them? That Christ is of no advantage to you in, in Galatians chapter 5, that you've been cut off, that you've fallen away from grace. That is the danger that people are in. And I mean, again, man, that that's why like my heart is so heavy for these people. Yeah, in, in the article, so I continue in the article, to assert that inherent righteousness is required for heaven is to side with Rome's view of analytic justification and is to reject the true gospel and the Protestant doctrine of synthetic justification, as we will explain further. So, his this this... You know, Piper's apple of final salvation doesn't fall far from the tree of Roman Catholic dogma defined by the Council of Trent. It sounds very similar to Trent. And um, the article, I quote a few of the canons. Um, this is from the uh, session 6 of the Council of Trent. Canon 9 states this, If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to obtain the... in order to the of the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will let him be anathema canon 11 if anyone saith that men are justified either by the sole imputation of the justice of christ or by the sole remission of sins to the exclusion of the grace and the charity which is poured forth in their hearts by the holy ghost and is inherent in them or even that the grace whereby we are justified is only the favor of god let him be anathema and this is Canon 32. If anyone saith that the good works of one that is justified are in such manner the gifts of God as that they are not also the good merits of him that is justified or that the merit that the said justified by the good works which he performs through the grace of God and the merit of Jesus Christ, whose living member he is, does not truly merit increase of grace, eternal life, and the attainment of that eternal life. If so be, however, that he depart in grace and also increase of glory, let him be anathema. So let's go back to what Piper said. He says, These works of faith and this obedience of faith, these fruits of the Spirit that come by faith, are necessary for our final salvation. No holiness, no heaven. And he also says, Love and obedience, inherent righteousness, is required for heaven. So now note Rome again, that the said justified by the wor good works which he performs through the grace of God and the merit of Jesus Christ, whose living member he is, merit increase of grace, eternal life, and the attainment of that eternal life. In the same way, in other words, that Rome requires the said justified to have good works for the attainment of that eternal life, Piper requires, requires good works from those who are in the justified, in quote, a justified position where God is 100% for us already, as, quote, necessary for final salvation. So, this is so far 
it is so far across crossing the line to Rome. It's just not. It, it's inescapable. And you know, I have a few. As we were talking about this, I dug up a few extra quotes. Yes, I wanted you to. I wanted you to do me a favor. Pull pull the quote from the Catholic Answers one because I, I thought that one was perfect. Yeah. So here. Even though only God's grace enables us to love others, these acts of love please him and he promises to reward them with eternal life. Thus, good works are meritorious. When we first come to faith, God in faith, we have nothing in our hands to offer him. Then he gives us grace to obey his commandments and love, and he rewards us with salvation when we offer these acts of love back to him. We do not, quote, earn our salvation through good works, but our faith in Christ puts us in a special grace-filled relationship with God so that our obedience and love, combined with our faith, will be rewarded with eternal life. Okay, so was that Piper, or was that Roman Catholicism? That was Catholic Answers. It is almost word for word what Piper said. I'm going to read the last part again. We do not, quote, earn our salvation through good works, but our faith in Christ puts us in a special grace-filled relationship with God, so that our obedience and love, combined with our faith, will be rewarded with eternal life. That is exactly what Piper says. It, we, we get put into a position where God is 100% for us. We don't earn our salvation, but it's through faith and, and love and obedience that we get eternal life or get into heaven. Yep. I don't know how you can read that. The Roman Catholic website, what is that? The uh, Roman Catholic Answers? Catholic Answers is essentially saying the exact same thing as John Piper. And so I wanted to get to this, Carlos. I think that this is a good spot because I had a conversation with uh, Fred Butler. I reached out to Fred Butler. Uh, I think he's affiliated with uh, Bible Thumping Wingnut Network still. And he works at Grace U with John MacArthur. And I asked him to, to see if he could talk to John MacArthur, you know, because this is a big problem. This is a gospel issue. And um, in a conversation with him later on, after I gave him some of our stuff, he, he said this, and I found this remarkable. He says, as I noted in previous discussions I had with you on this topic, we would not define Piper's position as heretical in a Galatians 1 fashion. He is not teaching a strict Roman Catholic position of justification by works. Wow, Fred, that is disappointing. First of all, first of all, Roman Catholicism is not teaching a strict Judaizer view of justification. So Roman Catholicism, they have the same problem, but to say that, that it's not heretical in the Galatians 1 fashion because it's not Roman Catholicism uh, go back and read read your your Bible, Fred, because the the problem was a Judaizer problem, not a Roman Catholic, Roman Catholicism problem or Roman Catholic problem. So I find that remarkable. And Roman Catholics don't even teach a a strict position of justification by works. They they teach a position of justification by faith and works. And I'm pretty sure that Fred knows that that he understands that. But I found that to be completely just. I mean. I don't even know what to say to that because it is so clearly in line with Roman Catholicism that I just don't, I don't see how you can't, how you can't grasp that. So 
Yeah, I mean, I wish that Fred would take a second look, and I hope that he does, but I just I found that extremely remarkable. Yeah, um, <clears throat> here's another quote. We can therefore hope in the glory of heaven promised by God to those who love him and do his will. In every circumstance, each one of us should hope with the grace of God to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven as God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. That's the Catholic Catechism, paragraph 1821. Yep. It is right in line with what Piper's teaching. Yep. Just because, just because he doesn't believe in the sacraments of the Catholic Church doesn't mean he's not at its core teaching the same thing. It's the same heresy. It's the same basic heresy. Um, right. <clears throat> so yeah, these, um, some of these weren't included in the article. Um, these are, and I got these from a really good little addendum uh, from the historical theology class that Nathan Bucenitz teaches because our church, our church went through that. And so it, he provides a really good little compilation of quotes comparing and contrasting Rome with the Bible on uh, salvation. So, and, uh, so yeah, it's, it's astounding. I mean, well, let, let me, let me go back because I, I'm, uh, sorry, I'm not, I'm not done with Fred because this is another thing that, um, that Fred said that I just, I'm like, dude, like, what is the deal? He said, I don't like the application of his terminology. I wish he would be a bit more precise. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this because it's, it's, I wish you'd be a bit more precise. I want to go back and read the quotes from Piper because Piper said, because the whole point of what Piper wrote in that article was he, he says, you see what extraordinary care and precision is called for in order to be faithful to the scriptures. And then in Tom Schreiner's book, he says, the stunning Christian answer is sola fide, faith alone. But be sure you hear this carefully and precisely. So I'm just like shaking my head. What are you talking about? You wish that he would be a bit more precise. That's the whole point of what Piper is saying. He, he is saying, that he is being precise. And the, the, the problem that, that you're having, Fred, is that it's wrong and it's at odds with scripture. So I don't know, like, I don't even know what to do. I, I mean, it's like, how much more precision can you, do you want? Yeah. <laughs> that was the whole point of what he, what he wrote. So I don't mean to harp on Fred. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I just wish that he would take a second look at this. And uh, man, I almost wish that it was Stephen Furtick or somebody like that, because then people would have no problem uh, calling it for what it is, you know? Well, it's interesting because I mean, it, the quotes we read already up to this point are not ambiguous at all. They are clear cut. They, they really are. And, and so let me, uh, so I want to address a couple of things. Were you were you wanting to continue with point number one, or uh, can I? I just yeah. There's there's a few, a, a few more things. Um, I I wanted to point out the fact that I left some of these verses out, but it's just to show again how 
there's a severe lack of harmony of the scripture with Piper's view and these people and people who uh, sympathize. Um, just to throw out a few more quote, a few more verses. Um, so this is Acts 16, 30 through 31. After he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. That's faith alone, folks. Romans 4, 2 through 5. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But the one who does not work, but believes on, on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Um, and get this one. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Salvation. By faith. Alone. Alone. And, and there, there's no distinction between final salvation and salvation. If you say That's you're absurd. not finally saved, yeah, if you say you're not finally saved by faith alone, you're saying you're not saved by faith alone. That honestly, that is the that is the the uh, how, how do I put this? That is the falsest dichotomy of the century. I, I mean, he clearly takes the the award for the biggest false dichotomy that I've that I've ever heard that I've actually probably ever heard to make a false <laughs> distinction between between attaining heaven. And justification, or between justification and final salvation, it's just—it's so ridiculous, and at odds with the Bible. Let's go back to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. That's the one I read, start at the beginning of the article. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So. And then here's Titus 3, 4 through 8. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured up, out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning the things I want to speak to you confidently, so that those who have believed God will be grateful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Note what he says, that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There is nothing else to wait for at the final judgment. There is no other, there is no second judgment of to see if you have enough good works. You have already been justified. You have already been acquitted. And it's going to happen formally at the final judgment on the basis of Christ alone. Christ alone. So it's a failure. It's an utter failure to, ha to harmonize the scripture as a whole. You have to account for everything. Not just the verses that seem to agree with you. And that's the biggest. What's one of the biggest problems that Piper has. So continuing the fatal flaw on uh, the first fatal flaw. His error, Piper's error, is essentially Rome's because it's a conflation of sanctification with justification. And I ha there's some really good quotes by 
James Buchanan. If you haven't read, you need to, everybody should read James Buchanan's book uh, called The Doctrine of Justification, an Outline of Its History in the Church and of Its Exposition from the Scripture. It is an outstanding work, and it totally decimates Piper's position. It totally refutes it. So I have a few quotes to show that. Um, uh, he, here's Buchanan. So the 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 uh, he says the fundamental error of the Church of Rome consisted in confounding justification with sanctification. Popish writers confounded and virt virtually identified them, and thereby introduced confusion and obscurity into the whole scheme of divine truth. For if justification were either altogether the same with sanctification, or if not being entirely the same, but in respects some respects distinguishable from it, it was founded and dependent on sanctification, so that a sinner is only justified when and because and insofar as he is sanctified. Then it would follow that justification, considered as an act of God, is the mere infusion in the first instance and the mere recognition in the second of a righteousness inherent in the sinner himself, and not an act of God's grace acquitting him of guilt delivering him from condemnation and receiving him into his favor and friendship. It would not be a forensic or judicial proceeding terminating on man as its object and rectifying his relation to God. But instead, the exertion of a spiritual energy of which man is a subject, in other words, the spiritual energy of good works, of, of the fruit of faith, and as, like Piper says, and by which he is renewed in the spirit of his mind, considered again as the privilege of believers, it would not consist in the free forgiveness of sins and a sure title to eternal life, but in the possession of an inward personal righteousness, which is always imperfect and often stained with sin, which can never therefore amount to a full justification in the present life. And that's exactly what Piper affirmed, an imperfect obedience, an inherent righteousness to get to heaven. It's amazing how he utterly contradicts it. Yep. So then, you know, yeah, we have, there. I have, there's lots of good quotes that I provide. So you need to make sure you check out the article. We're not going to have time to go through all of the quotes in depth, but just make sure you look at the article. See it for yourself. You know, this is not... We're not taking him out of context. We are quoting him in abundance to show you that this is exactly what he means to say. And we're not just responding to a single article. Um, uh, that was something that uh, uh, Jesse from the Reformed Brotherhood uh, said when they reviewed Pastor Patrick Hines' episode, which we still need to get to. Um, but he said, you know, uh, it, we should take Piper's ministry as a whole and not just like be reactionary to one article. And, uh, and so he wasn't saying that about us. Um, I don't even know if he was saying that about pastor Hines, but we're not just responding to a single article. Um, we're responding, we're evaluating the whole of his ministry. We're, we're showing, I mean, the first quote that you quoted from him was back from 1993. Yeah. And we're showing that he's, he's, uh, got this wrong for so long and it's in multiple places and he said it repeatedly yeah so to 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 finish off the fatal flaw number one you already mentioned this verse the everything practically everything that piper says from the quotes that we mentioned is completely opposed to what christ himself said which is this most assuredly i say to you he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life 
and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John 5.24 So there you, there you have it. I mean, it's as clear as it can be. This is only the first flaw. And it's already this bad. Um, the conclusion for, to the first one then is, he, Piper affirms the Protestant doctrine, but nuances the terms in a way that opposes historic Protestantism, and thereby resulting in a neo-legalist retreat to Rome. This is Romanism at its core. So, this this next, uh, uh, yeah, that's to sum up the first flaw. Well, let's let's do this. We've already gone for an hour. I, I do want to touch on some other points. So let me go ahead and touch on these other points. Uh, we'll wrap up this episode. We we really want to take our time here, folks. So maybe we can do uh, fatal flaw number two and three next time. That'll probably get us through an hour. We want these to be, uh, you know, about an hour to an hour and a half episodes, uh, because we, we, we really want to take our time here. This is going to be our final treatise on the subject. Um, I mean, hopefully something new may come up that we might have to address, but uh, there's a couple of things that I want to want to deal with here, Carlos. And, and you, you already addressed, um, one of the, one of the points about the fact that heretics, which Piper is a heretic. Um, I, I know people hate that, uh, that we actually say that. Um, but heretics throughout history use biblical terminology and redefine it. And I really do think that this is a case of Romans sixteen eighteen, uh, which says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, I, I really believe that you know the smooth talk is the usage of biblical terminology only to redefine it and, and what it means. And uh, you quoted John Robbins, and I thought that was really good. Uh, and we do see that Piper redefines the doctrine of justification by faith alone because it no longer accomplishes what it should accomplish. He uses, and when he presents it, he presents it in a way that seems correct because he uses the right terminology. He he says it correctly until you realize that it it's not enough to get you into heaven. So I, I want to I, w I want to talk about another problem that I see because there's there's a second problem here. Piper introduces new language and concepts that are not biblical and. If both the language and the concepts are not biblical, then we have a serious, serious problem here. Now, I, I know that throughout church history, I, I don't want people to think that I'm being a complete biblicist because I know that throughout church history, the church has had to come up with new terms in order to capture key concepts, uh, especially when heresies arose within the church. And the prime example of this is the doctrine of the Trinity being captured by the word, the Trinity, which is not in the Bible. And of course, Jehovah's Witnesses will try to use this against us and say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Therefore, the concept of the Trinity is foreign to the Bible. And that's not the case because the concept is there. And we, we also address this um, going back to New Covenant theology. We also address this with New Covenant theology because a lot of the people that we ran into, and of course, New Covenant theology is not monolithic, but a lot of the people that we ran into uh, had this this problem where they, they would ask, you know, where's the term covenant of works in the Bible? I don't see it. And therefore, the concept of the covenant of works isn't in the Bible. 
And I think that Dr. Richard Barsalos did a, a really good job, and, and it was very helpful to me when he pointed out that that's the word concept fallacy, that just because the word isn't there, that the concept isn't there. But here's the problem. Piper is introducing new terminology as well as new concepts. And I, I reached out to Phil Johnson and um, in, a, in a recent episode on Wretched Radio with Todd Friel and Phil Johnson, um, they're both talking about uh, the problem that they have with Piper's charismatic views. Okay, and I want to play the end of so so that's the context of this episode. I want to play that because I, I reached out to Phil Johnson way before this. I gave him our, our stuff. I, I asked him to look over it. He said he would. But I want to play the end of that. So this is in the context of reading an article from Desiring God about the charismatic gifts. And and before you get to that, so I want to kind of jump off of what you said, uh, add a little bit to what you said. You know, biblical, extra biblical terminology, not only is it okay insofar as it agrees with the Bible, it, obviously it has to agree with the Bible in order for it to be valid. It's necessary. It's actually necessary in order to fight off heresy. This is a big problem that we had trying to explain to the New Covenant theology folks because they kept, you know, they tend to insist on biblical terminology only, but that's not, we have to use extra biblical terminology. And ironically, Piper affirms that very thing in his book about Athanasius. Right. It's just so ironic. But the the way he the way he buries he buries his view in Protestant language and terms so deeply that it is a destructive and deceptive heresy because it means the exact opposite of what the terms and the doctrines actually mean in the first place. So it's you need to be very careful with this stuff. It's not it's not trivial. It is an undermine, a complete undermining of the gospel. Right. Let me go ahead and play this, and then uh, I want to finish making the point about uh, unbiblical terminology and unbiblical concepts. John Piper Ministry, Desiring yeah, God. So. Okay. So, Desiring God, what do I do with this and Desiring God? Now, what Todd Friel is, this is at the end of a... Uh, like a 30-minute episode. I don't want to play the whole episode. What Todd Friel is asking is the article um, that they just reviewed about uh, John Piper's charismatic gifts. Okay, so so they're going to call him out for that. And and I want you to hear what, what Phil Johnson says about Piper and the gospel. Well, I mean, you have to, you have to read everything with discernment anyway. But the more... The more uh, I mean, between you and me, the more the more desiring God drifts into that sort of charismatic realm of murky, you know, authority. Uh, the the less the less I'm inclined to read what they publish. I don't I don't read their blog anymore just because of things like that. It's too too frustrating. All right, so I wouldn't consider them apostates. I mean, I, I think they if you drifting. ask them for an account of the gospel, they would give it yep. to you correctly and all right. of that. But I think they're walking on a dangerous uh, cliff that 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 people who follow them will many people who follow them will fall over that cliff even if they don't. All right, I want to be a good discerner, I'd, so I don't want to start drawing lines and divisions and separations. So uh, the, clearly, this article 
it's it's saying let's take the brakes off of this thing. It's it really sounded a lot like Matt Chandler. Let's yeah. not be cautious anymore. Let's just risk it. It'll be messy, but it'll be incredible. Quote from Matt. Is this at the point where I say, you know what, I'm not trusting Desiring God. I'm, I'm counting them as a black sheep. I'm just going to keep eating the meat and spitting out the bones. We mixed a whole lot of metaphors. Well, that was, there. was the question. Which one is it? Oh, how is what? What do I do? Yeah, I, I wouldn't so count I read them this as, article. I wouldn't count them as apostate, like I said. Uh, based on that, I, I, but yes, I think that that is dangerous. Which means I wouldn't recommend their ministry to someone who, who lacks discernment or who's who's trying to, you know, learn. I, I, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't mention them without some kind of warning to say you, know, you have to really be careful what they are writing and what they're publishing because th- there is there is extreme a, danger in this. That's a bummer. Yeah, it is. It is because there are some things that they've done really better than anyone. You know, I, I love John Piper's emphasis on uh, you know being passionate about the glory of God and uh, um, um, you know his his defense of justification by faith in the against NT Wright was I thought the most helpful thing that's been published on that subject ever. But didn't he? But didn't if I recall this correctly, he said nevertheless NT Wright is a brother. He may have said that. Yeah. Yeah. Which which I found a little bit on the confusing side. Yeah. That it was like yeah he's got some problems with justification, but it's not heretical. Yeah, see, and part of that, I mean, we're getting into really complex stuff here, yeah. but Piper's Piper's mentor was uh, Daniel Fuller, who held a similar view about justification. He was, uh, I wouldn't consider him orthodox on the doctrine of justification by faith, uh, which may explain why I was so pleased with, with Piper's defense right. of the doctrine. I thought, you know, he, he sort of went against his own background and tendencies to to sort of take on N.T. Wright when when there needed to be a voice of his stature dealing with N.T. Wright on justification. I was glad he did it. I'm thankful for it. He's been uh, a stalwart uh, support to uh, our position on the on the lordship issue against antinomianism. Uh, so there are a lot of things I like about him. I, I, like, I like to hear him preach. I love the passion with which he preaches. Uh, and Normally, when he's preaching, it's pretty good biblical stuff. It's what he writes in between and the things he says and does in contexts like this that give me pause. All right. So, now this is not drawing a line. This is not separation. This is this is caution. Right. Exactly. In fact, I've been I've been resistant to the idea of drawing a line. There are a lot of people out there who think. Well, if you don't anathematize John Piper, then you're not being faithful because look at all this error, you know. And um, I can kind of sympathize with that feeling that some of the error is potentially very dangerous. But in my mind, until a man actually denies the gospel or, or teaches some truth that, you know, hits directly at one of the foundational principles of the Christian faith, I'm obliged to... Uh, you know, take his take his. Doesn't mean you have to endorse the fellow, right. but right. It, but it's it, it, it's really about it being an essential doc. Exactly, and I, I think there there's a tendency for some people to think, well, you either endorse him or you anathematize him. There's no in between. In my mind, there's a huge in between, and a lot of people fit into it. Who I wouldn't necessarily uh, 
consign them to the eternal flames, but uh, but I wouldn't recommend their ministries either. And, well, and it's pretty clear to me. I, I really found that remarkable because uh, I, I guess Phil just Phil Johnson just hasn't been paying attention. Um, I had actually reached out to Phil Johnson way before this, and uh, I, I asked him to look over our stuff. I asked him what he thought about that uh, about the the final salvation issue, and this is what Phil wrote to me at that time he still hasn't gotten back to me i i'm a i'm a pygmy amongst giants so he's he's not gonna get back to me he's not gonna go looking for me and uh i mean, I mean i'm a i'm a nobody but uh when when i did send him the stuff here's what he here's what he said he said thanks i'll listen and i actually gave him the article so i don't know if if he actually read them um but I mean, we can send this, this episode to him, but he said, thanks. I'll listen. Um, and, and by the way, he was very, um, kind and respectful to me. I like Phil, which is why I reached out to him. I like Todd Friel, which is why, I mean, I'd love it if Todd Friel was, was with us on this, but he says, thanks. I'll listen for the record. And, uh, this was, this was public. This was not private. He says for the record. I don't like the language of, quote, final justification, close quote. It's an unbiblical expression and concept. According to Romans 5.1 and 8.1, justification is final the moment regenerate, regenerate hearts believe. But I'm not convinced yet that Piper's issue isn't mostly semantic. I grant that it's maddening the way he seems to equivocate, and assuming this is merely a matter of being unclear or even purposefully playful with language. I wish he would face up to the confusion he has sowed and clear it up. Um, and this was said in the context of a discussion on Piper. So I'm quite sure that he is aware of the fact that Piper has used the term final justification. Um, and as I said before, Tom Schreiner in his book uses the terminology of final justification uh, and Piper wrote the forward to the book. He has no issue with it. It still captures Piper's view and, uh, the concept is the same, but what I found to be remarkable was, was this, and this is what I wanted to comment on. He says it's an unbiblical expression and concept. And so this, this brings up the problem that I was saying is that Piper has introduced language that is unbiblical in the final salvation to capture an unbiblical concept. And so if the language and the concept that you are preaching is unbiblical, and if it touches on a primary doctrine, whether that be the doctrine of Christ or the gospel itself, then that is a serious problem. And if, if it pertains to the gospel itself, which, which it does, then you are preaching an unbiblical gospel. And it's therefore a, a, a false gospel. And so my, my petition to uh, Phil Johnson, Todd Friel, is you need to look a little bit closer. Um, you're sort of, I mean, I, I appreciated what they said. I wouldn't anathematize somebody over the differences of, of whether or not they are cessationists or they're charismatics. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far and say, oh, he's, he's, a, he's a heretic because he's a charismatic. No, th I think that's irresponsible. And so I appreciated what they said, but, but Phil affirmed 
that he has the he has the right gospel, which and he says until I hear something that I I, I don't remember exactly how he, he said it, but we played the clip until I hear him say something uh, that that's wrong about the gospel. I'm not going to draw a line in the sand. This is is essentially what he said. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if these guys are just, and, and here's the thing. I really want to be charitable to them because I know that the demands of their own ministry can, um, can just be heavy. And so maybe they don't have enough time to go through all of this stuff. Like, like we do, um, which I mean, it has taken a long, long time to go through this stuff. Um, but the other issue that I wanted to touch on was the issue of clarity because he he said you know that he uh, he wishes that Piper would be or or that, that uh, Piper's being unclear and this keeps coming up that you know Piper's just not being clear. Well, I'm reading from John Robbins and I just wanted to quote John Robbins on this. John Robbins writes, and, and here's the other thing: I really hope that people don't hear the name John Robbins and then just count us out. Um, you know, we know that John Robbins criticized John MacArthur. Um, okay, let's let's get over that and let's just deal with this this issue right here. So I know that Phil Johnson is associated with Grace to You and John MacArthur. Look, I, I really appreciate John MacArthur. Okay, but uh, John and this John Robbins is writing this not about John MacArthur, but I thought this was really helpful. He says God is concerned with the clarity of his revelation and demands that Christian teachers be clear in their thinking and teaching. For example, in Deuteronomy 27, verses 2 through 8, Moses and the elders gave a command to the people, quote, When you have crossed the Jordan into the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up large stones and coat them with plaster, and you shall write very clearly all the words of this law on these stones you have set up on the next page he continues he says paul preached the gospel with clarity and he urged that it be taught clearly in the churches quote now brothers if i come to you and speak in tongues what good will i be to you unless i bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as a flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. That's 1 Corinthians 14, uh, verses 6 through 11. But he says, Paul preached the gospel clearly, and he urged that it be taught clearly in the churches. So here's here's my point. They're warning against, well, not, they, they are warning against Piper, um, because this is put out on a podcast. They're saying that this is a serious problem. We're not drawing a line in the sand, but we want to be cautious. And Phil is saying, I don't recommend them anymore uh, because of this reason. I just don't trust them. I don't read his blog. Well, here's here's the problem. There's a bigger issue here. There's a bigger issue. And it's a, it is a gospel issue. It is a draw the line in the sand issue. And this is my, my petition to, to Phil Johnson is to take a, take a closer look at what we're trying so 
so hard to show people because as I, as I pointed out at the beginning of this episode, people are, are buying into this. People are, are repeating this. People are thinking that this is, this is orthodoxy and it's not. And the, the point about not being clear is not a point of defense for Piper. It's a point of rebuke against Piper, because if Piper is not being clear about the gospel, if Piper cannot like clearly articulate the gospel and people want to say, well, I don't think he's being clear when he talks about this and, and it, it's the gospel, then you should warn people away from him if he's not clear on the gospel. If you don't have the gospel, you don't have anything. So I, I do think that you know, there's a bigger issue and they should warn people away from Piper because of this issue. Not, I mean, so don't anathematize them over the charismatic issue, but that that's my petition to, to these gentlemen. Yeah. There's, there's something else going on here as well because Phil Johnson and I have a great deal of respect as well. I I've learned a great deal from, uh, Todd Frail from Phil Johnson from John MacArthur and we take we take a serious stand or issue with uh, Lordship Salvation so there there is that but aside from that there's something else going on in the sense that these men are some of the most popular lame, names in evangelicalism they're very well established ministers big big time ministries so they constantly get asked and invited to these podcasts, to these interviews, to to give a, a statement about the controversies that cre- that creep up, like like the Piper issue, like before uh, Kim, Tim Keller, some of the things that Tim Keller was saying, and Phil Johnson unfortunately has characteristically kind of affirmed these these men in a sort of a shallow in a, in a sort of a disappointingly shallow way, because if somebody keeps asking you about this stuff, you should probably take the time to look into it. And that, that would be my encouragement uh, to them because they should take a very cl- a closer look at this. If they, if people are going to keep coming to you for answers, because ain't, ain't nobody coming to us, you know, it's like, we don't have the notoriety that they do, even though we have people are, people are running from us. <laughs> yeah. If anything. Yeah. If anything. So, I mean, and people have, some people are starting to see the, the issues and, and we the the some of the article is getting some of our our work is getting recognized or or acknowledged to a certain extent, but um, they're not we're not going to be on Janet Mefford and Todd Fri- that's probably not going to happen. So, but Phil Johnson constantly gets invited to speak on things like this, and so the problem this and he did the same thing with Keller, and it's so ironic because. He, they talk about the issue of Piper affirming N.T. Wright as a brother and that he gets the gospel right. But if you listen on, on YouTube, there's a YouTube video where John MacArthur calls out... Well, I'm actually, I'm actually going to play that. Good. So he's going to call him out, right? And he's going to say that uh, N.T. Wright thinks that propitiation is a disgusting, despicable pagan notion that is utterly at odds with the New Testament. That's a false gospel, folks, right there. But n- that's not the only problem. So he... And that was a little bit weird because Todd Friel was like, yeah, he confirmed him as a brother, but, you know, there's this stuff. And then MacArthur and Phil Johnson is MacArthur's right-hand man. So, like, why aren't you – 
There's a disconnect here, but not only that. So Piper, I mean, uh, so with Tim Keller, they asked him about Tim Keller as well because he'd just say, he'll say, no, yeah, he's solid on the gospel. He's solid on the gospel, but maybe he's he's got issues here and there. And he never takes the full step or ta or I guess does the work, enough enough research to really come to that conclusion. So he'll just say, he'll default on his faulty assumptions. He makes, he makes uh, assumptions that are not well-founded about these men. Because if you dig in a little deeper, you'll see that they're not, they're not sound. They are not orthodox. And so Keller agrees with Wright on propitiation. He rejects it as well. And it's in one of his most popular books. It's in the reason for faith. It's not hidden. And and Phil Johnson, again, said he, that he's solid on the gospel. He's made comments about Keller saying that he's solid on the gospel, but he's got problems here and there about homosexuality and the, you know other ambiguous stuff that he says with the culture stuff and the contextualization. But again, like it, 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 there's a disconnect there, and I, I, it's, it's disappointing that these men are constantly getting asked for answers, and they're not giving well-researched answers, and they should probably admit that because – if they saw a little deeper, they would see that the, the, quite the contrary is the case with respect to men like these. Right. And, and let, me, let me also say this. You, you said that we, we don't agree with lordship salvation, and that might be a hiccup for some people, obviously. We are Reformed. Uh, we're Reformed Baptists. Okay. So we, we have some issues with um, the, the way that um, lordship salvation approaches some of these passages like Matthew seven twenty one through 23 or James chapter two. Um, and so I don't want people to think that we're, we're taking the, the side of the free gracers because we think that the free gracers neglected the doctrine of regeneration and fell into antinomianism and the lordship salvation guys, um, you know, emphasize trust, notitia, ascensus and fiducia and trust as the third psychological element of faith. And uh, consequently, a lot of them say things often like uh, it's not enough to just believe. And so we find we find that very problematic. So I, I just wanted to, to give a little quick side note on that. And then I also wanted to, because I, I am going to send this to Phil Johnson. And what I want to tell Phil Johnson is we're not heretic hunters. We are not, um, we're not out to get people. It, it was it, it was very difficult for me to come to terms with the fact that Piper is preaching a false gospel. Um, and more than that, we've gone on record to defend John MacArthur, Steve Lawson, and Paul Washer from the false charge of heresy from antinomian uh, individuals uh, who were basically saying that they were heretics. And so we've gone on record. Uh, it was in, an ep in, in another episode um, several episodes back where we, we invited this guy on and we, we asked him to explain his view. And we, we said, we, we don't agree. We, we think that John MacArthur is a solid teacher. We think that Steve Lawson is a solid teacher. Now I'm going to pull a Michael Horton here, but I'm going to do it the right way. We do disagree with some of their stuff. Um, with some of their conclusions, but they're extremely important theologians <laughs> Um, so that's how you do it. But here's, here's, what, <laughs> here's what I want to do, Carlos. Um, I want to, uh, first of all, just say thank you, uh, to you 
Uh, you're the one who wrote this article. That's what we're, uh, th- that's the meat of this episode. Uh, that's the meat of what we're getting at. So thank you for your, your hard work. Um, I'm sorry that you're just a pygmy in Christ's church. You're just a, a layman and a, a pew warmer um, because it is an outstanding work. And um, before we go, I'm going to play the clip that Todd Friel referenced uh, about John Piper. And then I'm going to play the clip of John MacArthur. And I want to, I want to uh, read the second part of what Phil Johnson said to me, because I only read uh, the first part, but I think that it's pretty important. Um, Phil Johnson writes, I lost my spot. Um, let me just go to my pictures. Uh, Phil Johnson writes, at the moment, I'm still taking a wait and see posture, hoping that the Piper who responded so brilliantly to, to N.T. Wright emerges triumphant over the Piper who reveres Daniel Fuller. In the clip that I'm going to play, this is, I guess, what Piper took away from his interaction with, uh, with um, N.T. Wright. And this is the Piper who has emerged, which is the pipe, which is the Daniel Fuller version of Piper. And I, I don't even know. I, I don't even know how to process what he's saying in light of Phil's comments about his, his, his response to N.T. Wright was just so brilliant because you know, who had a brilliant response to N.T. Wright? Yeah. John MacArthur. Yeah. And, and, and so we're going to uh, short, sweet, and don't, don't, t- don't tune us out, Phil. We're going to play John MacArthur, who gets it right on NT right. Who's NT wrong, as he puts it. What did you have to say, Carlos? No, just that I'm very grateful for this opportunity to, um, you know, this has been a blessing to be able to fellowship and partnership and for people to reach reach out to us. We encourage you to reach out to us, you know, whether even if it's a disagreement or a, or a um you know you agree you disagree we we're grateful for the feedback and it helps us to it helps us to also make sure that we are in line with with scripture and and it and challenging us it helps us so we encourage that as well um and if you want to contact us you know you can just at our new email thorncrownministries.com at, i mean i'm sorry thorncrownministries at gmail.com and we also I forgot to mention this. We we I sent out the first newsletter. So our very first newsletter was sent out, and um, we also have a, a phone number, a Google Voice number that you can call if you want to leave a message. So that we're gonna start um, hopefully uh, playing your your messages and responding to them on the podcast. So um, I wanted to give out that number in addition to our email, so people are are can be aware of it. And, and I would encourage you to subscribe as well. You can just go to the website, thorncrownministries.com, and subscribe. And uh, you, the articles are there that we're talking about. And um, so so the phone number, the phone number is 915-302-0195. So give us a call. You can leave us a message. We'll play it. You know, we can play it on the podcast, you know, interact. We're trying to keep the venues as open as possible for people to reach out to us. We're very grateful for it, you know, for the uh, 
for folks' feedback. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm, I'm really grateful to do this. I don't have a lot of time to do it. So when we do have the time, I, I do appreciate getting the chance to do this because it, it, it forces me to confront these problems and to learn and to grow. And so and, and I hope we can we're, our purpose for doing this is to benefit the church. It's to hopefully bless and edify the church. And so that's why we want to we hope that people with much larger platforms like Phil Johnson and, and John MacArthur and the, these Todd Friel will hopefully take a look at this stuff and see that there's a lot worse when it comes to uh, people like Piper or Keller and the, and the folks that we've been talking about and, and critiquing criticizing on our in our ministry right and you know uh we're not cantankerous we we partner with a bunch of presbyterians uh who are uh (laughs) taking us to task right now (laughs) so so uh you know we love these guys uh check out steve matthews uh who, as you said, drank the uh, the Presbyterian yeah, Kool-Aid. We'll try to get him back. <laughs> uh, Timothy Kaufman. Uh, look, Timothy Kaufman, check out his eschatology. Check out his stuff on Roman Catholicism. Uh, it is it is simply outstanding. And I, I can't promote his stuff enough. Um, check out the Protestant Witness. Uh, Pastor Hines is a formidable force to be reckoned with. Um, and we are just so grateful for him. Uh, so, you know, check out these podcasts. Um, and, and yes, I'm, I'm saying this knowing that he came out with an episode in which he reviewed what we said, or yeah. what really what you said, Carlos. Um, and I'm glad. I'm glad he did. No, I'm glad he did because it's gonna. Right, right. But but that disagreement doesn't yeah. bother me. Um, this other stuff. This other stuff makes my blood boil. And, um, I mean, I, I, my heart just breaks for these, these individuals that are being taken up by this. And I've said this before, Carlos, we live in a predominant, uh, in a society that, that is mostly Roman Catholicism. And so this hits, this hits home for us. This, this hits home hard for us. Definitely. And, um, so here's what we're going to do. Don't tune this out. Uh, we're going to play uh, the John Piper clip that was alluded to in the uh, Wretched Radio episode with Todd Friel and Phil Johnson. And then immediately after that, we're going to uh, play John MacArthur's brilliant response to N.T. Wright, which I- I'm just baffled by Piper. Uh, so stay away from Piper. Um, and with that, we'll, we'll close this out. God bless. I don't think N.T. Wright preaches... A false gospel either. I think N.T. Wright preaches a very confusing gospel. The burden of that book is to say, tell us more clearly what you mean if you think all of this in different categories really coheres with historic Reformed theology. I, I wonder, I wonder if it does. I doubt, but I'm, I, didn't, I wanted to be so careful. I sent the manuscript to him. He wrote an 11,000 word response. That was, just, that was a third the length of my book. And he wrote that much response. It helped me a lot to catch on to some nuances. So this isn't about him, so I won't talk about him anymore. But And even in evangelicalism, there is what is now being called the new perspective on Paul. Uh, the primary influence of that is coming from a man named N.T. Wright, who is a British theologian. He's written hundreds of pages.
hundreds of pages on the gospel, including a very thick book on the resurrection of Christ. I have read books for years, as you would expect and you would know, and I have read his writings, and they are a mass of confusing ambiguity, contradiction, and obfuscation. Academic sleight of hand. I cannot tell you what he believes after reading all of that, but I can tell you exactly what he does not believe. The only time he gets explicit is to make sure we know what he does not believe. Let me quote a new book by him, N.T. Wright, The Day the Revolution Began. Here is a quote. We have paganized our understanding of salvation, substituting the idea of God killing Jesus to satisfy His wrath for the genuinely biblical notion we are about to explore. So he calls Jesus becoming the substitute that God killed to satisfy His wrath for us, paganism. Further, he says, that Christ died in the place of sinners is closer to the pagan idea of an angry deity being pacified by a human death than it is to anything in either Israel's scriptures or the New Testament. So he rejects substitutionary atonement. He rejects Jesus as the sacrifice that God chose to die for our sins. He is very clear on what he rejects. He rejects the idea that our sins are imputed to Christ. He rejects the idea that his righteousness is imputed to us. This is not the gospel, he says. This is paganism. To worship God as one who justifies by imputation, he says, is nonsense. I quote, if we use the language of the law court, it makes no sense whatsoever to say that the judge imputes, imparts, bequeaths, conveys, or otherwise transfers his righteousness to either the plaintiff or the defendant. Righteousness is not an object, a substance, or a gas which can be passed across the courtroom. This gives the impression of a legal transaction, a cold piece of business, almost a trick of thought performed by a God who is logical and correct, but hardly one we want to worship. He goes on to say, no one will be justified until he reaches heaven. Further, he says, I must stress again that the doctrine of justification by faith is not what Paul means by the gospel. The gospel is not an account of how people get saved. Really? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel by which you are saved. <laughs> N.T. right is N.T. wrong. And all who accept his high-sounding words raised up against the true knowledge of God are still in the state of Luther, but without the fear. And if you're without the fear, you're going to hell happily. What amazes me is that people can do this and have no fear and propagate it 
And many, many young men, evangelical young men in seminary and training are influenced by right to believe the wrong thing, to be propagating a false gospel and denying the true gospel and have absolutely no fear and no angst and no guilt and no dread and no terror and no torture is to be void of the work of the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. The good news about Martin Luther was the Spirit was at work in his soul. But it was the knowledge of the revelation of God as the righteous judge and the wrath of God from Scripture that was activated in his soul to cause him to fear until he found the truth. What doesn't exist today in the church is that fear. Where are the terrified people? Where are the terrorized sinners? Where is the angst? Where is the dread? To propagate a false gospel and feel nothing but pride is to be in the most dangerous place possible. To have no interest in the true doctrine of justification, but to be a happy heretic, and an ambiguous one at that, is to be in a place of the most grave spiritual danger and to make yourself an equally grave danger to those who follow your influence.